Ooh, Chris left his new dice next to me. Six, 14, 18. Your dice roll pretty well, Chris. Don't touch my dice. Welcome to the No End Here, the podcast with Chris and Steven. We are the podcast for Dumpstead Adventures. Chris, how are you doing? Fantastic. Are you excited for Gen Con and was it three days now? Two days? Yes. How about you? I'm very excited. I, I have not been, but I'm also going to be running a couple of Stargate games for uh, Wyvern Gaming, so I'm excited about that. So you've never been? You just jump in with both feet and be like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to like run a brand new game for people. Yes. And I've also been bad and I haven't really signed up for anything, so I'm, I'm just probably going to have a bunch of generic tickets and walk around and see what's going on. That's all I've ever done. I mean, we, I think we signed up this year. My wife wanted to play a couple games. I can't remember exactly what. Maybe Catan. Uh, some, a couple of those kind of games. So we signed up for them, but past that, yeah, it's just generic tickets and wandering around. All right, Chris, enough telling me about your life. You got a question for me, don't you? So this is from Dragon Magazine 121. How come you don't have any dungeon magazines? Dungeon sucked. Okay. Because <laughs> this was the only one they carried in the place i the the store i went to okay so because dungeon magazine sucks yeah pretty much you heard it here yeah never got chris throwing shade from 20 uh, years ago great there's gonna be some person that's gonna hear this sometime and go on some sort of rant in issue 117 so this is during the transition from one e to two e okay and there's been a lot of talk about what they're going to do with different things you know one of the previous uh issues uh zeb cook had come out and say well what are we going to kill what dies first was the name of his article and it was just it was it was satire um but back then like now people don't get satire so the he was now just be flooded with emails and be instantaneous there he got flooded with letters people just being like i will never play this game again if you get rid of the illusionist and you know it's like good then you <laughs> should never play this again say that? no okay. <laughs> you should get rid of play never play this game game if you think the illusionist is best there's a there, there was a letter later on so basically the gist of the letter comes down to say you're changing you're going to be changing rules people mm-hmm. are upset about the rules and it says, this brings us to the D&D game. If you don't like a ru- D&D rule, you change it without having to worry too much about game balance. All of those specific rules are replaced by more broad and general runs, allowing for more time for role-playing and less time for die-rolling. That's what it was in the te- context was. In the original D&D and OD&D, mm-hmm. it was, you know, we've, I have the pamphlet. You've seen it. It's thin. AD&D, holy shit, you have books i mean and they were they were big size books and they got bombarded with uh, all these rules so they were just most people were like hmm, fuck it we know when we'll know what we'll do and they just changed it around before all you diehard ad and d out there start thinking me as an idiot he says and don't know what i'm talking about i have played both systems extensively and say nine out of ten out of times it turns out that the ad and dm is playing with his own personal simplified version of the game which is usually very unbalanced True. AD&D was stereo instructions with really shitty drawings drawings on them. Now, do you think... Those are great drawings. Those are great drawings. I guess, let's get to the question. The question would be, here, do you feel we're in 5e now? If they were to make a 6e, which you know they eventually will, they won't shouldn't for a while, because the game's in a really good place, would you see them dumb down the rules to go back to the OD&D games? Do you think that people are fudging the rules... Because they, A, maybe don't understand them, or B, just want to get around them. That's part A. Part B, how unbalanced would that make it? And part C, 
what do you think, if any, changes should be made if they make a sixth edition is concerning just the, the rules, the core set of rules? Okay, I, I think I understand what you're asking. Good, because I sure as fuck don't. So, well, actually, first, I'll, I'll answer a question you didn't ask. When do I think that they'll make 6 They or, better that, not, for a while. Yeah, well, you were saying for a while. Um, yeah, uh, well, I mean, let's see, 3rd edition lasted 10 years, 4th edition lasted 4 years, and we're currently going on 5 years for 5th edition, I believe. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, because it came out 2014. So, that puts us at... Uh, first and second edition, though, each lasted, what, 20, yeah, 30 it was, years? Yeah, um, So they were around for quite a bit. I could see fifth edition uh, staying for quite a while. I mean, there isn't anything kind of super broken in it right now that needs fixing or adjusting, and uh, there's still more and more people buying players' handbooks all the time. Mike Merle sent out a tweet saying that 5e handbook sales had surpassed 4e, 3e, and maybe it was also 2e, 2E he mentioned, but like separately not all combined i'm not sure but i mean that was a couple of years ago so i don't know if uh things have changed if you can combine them all together and still say that 5e has outsold them but i mean 5e is doing very well and i don't see them uh switching additions anytime soon i would see this uh 5e probably lasting 10 or 15 years for its lifetime before they even start thinking about doing 6e agree but that doesn't mean that they aren't working on it. I could imagine that they're working on a 6th edition, like at least taking side notes about what they want to see differently from 5e and what they would translate that into 6e. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, and we're not talking, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not talking UA bullshit. UA bullshit is not 6e. No, we UA talk, is for 5e. Right. When we're talking, but we're not saying that, oh, this is place test stuff that they're doing, thinking ahead. Talking about a new edition is talking about changing the fundamental core core rules in some yeah, well, way. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you still keep like the D twenty system, but uh, right things were you're not like oh, we're adding artificer. No, yeah. well, like five E added in long rest, short rest type things, mm-hmm. as opposed to like three E, um, which they stole from four E with their daily and encounter powers. So you know, it, it's it would evolve a lot of renaming things and reworking how things work with the core mechanics and things of that nature. That'd be sexy, but. The going back to I, I guess your original question. Um, I'll start with what do I think that they'll change in sixty? Uh, I think because we're already seeing it a little bit in Xanathar's is that they'll get rid of just putting advantage disadvantage on every time that you would get like a plus one or plus two modifier. Because with Xanathar's, 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 <laughs> you can already see that they are going back to doing like oh you get a small little modifier here small little modifier there i think they realize that just giving advantage disadvantage to everything uh kind of limits how how much of a bonus people can get because you don't stack advantage you once you have advantage you have advantage you can't get any more than that and uh the more class features they put out there that gave advantage the less advantage started feeling special Mm -hmm. so i think i could easily see them going through and just removing however many instances of advantage are out there. You think they just made that, they did it that way to make it easier for the DM? It's very simple. simple Yeah, well, and also this is the first time that they uh, put forth, I mean, there were class features that had it, but this was the first time where it became a core feature of the entire system, was that advantage-disadvantage thing, taking over all the little tiny modifiers here and there. And I think it was a, a good choice on their part, but I also think it became too much of a, uh, they should have a bonus, which means they get advantage, or they should, uh, you know, like, this will help them out just a little bit in combat, so they should get advantage. Like, it, it became very much a uh, 
a straight jump to advantage. And I think that there probably should be small little modifiers in there. Not a huge amount because then we're getting back to the 3E days where, you know, you get a plus one for that, plus two for that, uh, plus one for those five things. And, you know, it it takes you forever to figure out what your to hit is. Yeah, you'll need, everyone needs to come with a notebook hand. That would be one thing that I see them changing in 6E. I could also see them changing uh, some of the classes. Uh, the Ranger especially, I think that they would change the focus of the Ranger class because there's been a lot of... Bitching. <laughs> bitching uh, with that. Um, and I'm not sure if they'll ever get Ranger right. I'm not sure if any edition has really gotten the Ranger right uh, just because it's such a generic... Why not just piss everybody off and just get rid of Ranger? Well, I <laughs> I don't know. Make it an archetype. Yeah. How much how that would be great. Just put it under would you put it under maybe thief archetype? You I, could put it under you could put it a three different bard, thief. Yeah, you could or put it under fighter. fighter, druid, or thief. Like the druid would get the beast companion, the fighter would get all like the weird fighting styles out in the uh, the forest, and then the rogue would just get more uh survivability out in the wild i mean rogue already has scout which i thought should have been a ranger class anyways so. i agree i agree i agree no but i think that would be uh fantastic i'm gonna start lobbying for that right now yeah get rid of ranger as a base class and just make it as a subclass to piss everyone off and then there was a third question but i've already forgotten what that was i don't know um we'll just say the answer to that is yes but what if it, the answer was no or open then you're gonna look stupid uh <laughs> No, I think that, I mean, that's the majority of it. Yeah, there was a three-part question, but I think the piece was, should they change anything up now? No. The game is at, at the height of its popularity and it has been yeah. in the last, since, you know. I think tw- we got another five to ten years before they start uh, pushing for a sixth edition. Because they've also not been doing that many splat books for fifth edition. And so, um, like, 4E and 3E, there was already way more books for them uh, after five years than what fifth edition has. So they have a lot that they can put out uh in books so five to ten years might be uh a horrible estimate on my part where it might be even longer because they do have a huge back catalog they can update to 5e so a large a huge opportunity to gouge you for more money for books of monster compendiums and well no it's just updating things and i mean most people don't have books to 4e most people don't have uh books to all the planescape stuff except you well i i specifically look for planescape stuff i go to old used bookstores and try to find it psionics that's my thing i don't know you don't even know how psionics works and yet you have i'm using them on a couple of psionic i'm using them on you right now you need to get smarter (laughs) i guess i don't know how psionics works either (laughs) yeah no it's Everybody had a chance to have it back in AD&D. You just rolled the percentile dice. It was the yeah, weirdest fucking thing. There wasn't even a, any point because it was so rare that you would have it. I know. And then you could just kill people with your mind. Then all of a sudden you were just a god. So You basically, yeah. as a DM, just had to tell someone, yes, you can play a Sionics character in this campaign. Yeah. There was no point in them rolling a dice because there's such as like that was like with Paladin or something or I think even like the Ranger was really hard to get those ability scores. And so you basically as a DM just had to be like, yeah, you can play a Paladin. Just put one of your scores to that. That's fine. Right. It was really hard. The no, I agree with you. I don't think they should touch it at all. I mean, I really don't. Um, so you want five E in a hundred years from now? No, I think, but I think they're in a good place, and I think it would be silly to try and change something up that's working right now as it moves along and they start seeing more and more that they're they're seeing yeah they can come up with some good ideas i mean i think that's why you make a new edition but right now let ride the wave for a a while and go from there what are you talking about this week see 
We're talking about improvisation. 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 I improv my way to that word. Uh-huh. So, Chris, how do you do it? How do you improv? When I give you a scene, you know, I, I describe a beautiful scene to you. How do you improv? First, I'd have to be paying attention to you. So, what did you just say? Now, the, anyways, the question well, comes from it's one like of our. every time I uh, yeah. DM for you. Yes. But I pay attention, at least most of the time. I was one of the few people paying attention for the majority of the night last night. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was out in my own little world a little bit. I'll admit that. But So, the question comes from one of our patrons, and he DMs. And he says the game is, you know, he does a great job DMing when he has everything planned out and knows what's going on. And that's great. You know, not just knows what's going on, like, in this overarching world type of situation, but for the events that are happening. At least that's how I translated from it. But as we all know, players do stupid shit. So DMs get caught off guard. And all of a sudden, you know, the the typical story, the shady looking goblin in the back who has your quest, who you're supposed to go up to and get the information from. No, they'd rather talk to the half naked elven waitress over there and like, it's like panic time as a DM. Okay, now what do I want to do? So I think there's two pieces to uh, how you and would you do it. you just came up with that scenario right in your mind, right now. Improv. Um, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I think there's two ways to look at it. Um, and by the way, how do I improv as a player? Player is just 100% improv. I mean, you're you're not, nothing is set up. Any great plans that you start off with immediately are ruined within the first five minutes, either by some jackass DM doing something that you didn't think of, which is his job, or some idiot player at the table with you doing something completely that they're not supposed to be doing, like me. I don't think the player gets to go into this very much. It's it's from the DM angle, and... uh, I have my opinions on it, but since you are the resident DM and I am just the newbie DM, I will flip it back over to you to ask the to answer the first part of the actual question. What do you do as a DM when you have you're put on the spot and you have to come up with something right away? Well, I just agree with what they're saying, and I just make stuff up. That's such <laughs> such a lie, everybody. No, he so, just he screams at us saying, "I spent hours working on this, and you assholes want to talk to this person." They don't no, even know that. <laughs> no, meteor swarm. You're all dead. Roll new characters. That happened once. <laughs> uh, well, first, I guess comedian Tina Fey. Uh, she has four rules of improv, which are I didn't think about how I improv until I was thinking about uh, this show or like what we were going to record. And so I was looking up some stuff about how people improv and things of that nature. The uh, Tina Fey's four rules of improv. Number one, first rule of improvisation. Improv. I cannot say that word. Just say of improv. (laughs) The first rule of improv is to agree. Uh, The second rule of improv is not only say yes, say yes and. The next rule is make statements. And the fourth rule is, there are no mistakes, only opportunities. Now, uh, I guess going with this is, if your players are... Let's come up with a little bit uh, uh, a different scenario. Oh, well, I guess we can go with your scenario, since I have to agree with you. It's part of improv. Okay. So, basically, you set up, they're in a bar. Uh, they could either talk to, uh, what was it, a lich? I don't remember what your scenario was. What? Oh, you walk into a bar and there's the goblin that you know you're supposed oh, to yes. get the quest from, but you'd rather yes. talk to the... The quest giver, got it. The quest giver. <laughs> or you'd rather talk to the barmaid that is well endowed. Your players enter into the bar. Players don't do the thing they're supposed to do. 
Correct. Like every fucking time. There is the quest giver goblin, which is, I feel like that's really weird. And I would immediately want to talk to the quest giver goblin or the well endowed bar winch. Maybe. I don't like when you call them winches. What kind of series of (laughs) words put together was that? Or the well endowed. Yeah, but you were mumbling. So I don't even want to know what it sounded like. So you enter in the bar. You have the goblin quest giver, yes. which is very interesting in and of itself yes. as to why the goblin is a quest giver and not. But you have a party full of bards and they see a attractive young lady serving drinks. So <laughs> Yes, or the attractive young lady serving drinks. If your players are only interested in talking to her, that's fine. You just say, like, you understand where they're coming from. Like, this is what they're interested in. That's fine. You don't need to railroad them over to the goblin. We can work on our way of getting over to the goblin. You take a moment, you can describe what she looks like, so you give you get a couple of seconds to kind of think of where you're going to head with that. If you don't want the situation to go very far, she can just, you know, what are your orders, what are your drinks, things of that nature. A typical thing that a bar made, not a bar wench, <laughs> will talk about, uh, will ask the players. And if they keep pushing on her, start thinking about the quest that you were thinking of uh, that the goblin would have and just... Maybe change a few things so it's her, you know. Uh, she's having problems at home thanks to bandits that uh, keep robbing from her, you know, her father or from her husband or things like that. If the goblin was going to give them a quest to go investigate some weird, creepy ruins, uh, have her talking about how uh, she was so excited to see these adventures because there's these weird skeletons coming out of the ruins. And uh, she's worried that it's that they're going to be attacking her, uh, the farm that her father Uh, works on you know it's just take what they're doing and try and use what you've already planned and kind of morph it a little bit for uh the situation see and i think it's i I like everything you said there and i think it's a matter of or just make her a two-dimensional npc that doesn't i mean she does drinks and you know maybe she can talk about the town a little bit be like oh did you see the uh uh the the big crater in the center of the town and that ties into the goblin quest giver what he wants the people to do which is investigate the crater that has a bunch of star spawn leaking out of it you know uh, you can have her start talking about gossip around town that links back to what your quest giver wants to talk to your players about and i think you hit on it uh I mean, two things right there that specific are specific situation but right no but i think both i think there's two important things that you've hit on right there one was the one of the first things you said which is buy yourself a little time you're going in and all of a sudden that you're just like god damn it i have no idea what i'm supposed to be doing in here give yourself a beat mm-hmm. you know description's great that that's fantastic have something yeah have the bartender come over and just sort of like interject real quickly like leave the staff alone what do you want to drink you know that could be one way to get <laughs> yeah, out of the leave my situation. staff alone who are going to serve you drinks yeah you know, <laughs> what do you want to drink everybody hits on the the poor good-looking girl get away from her you know that could lead to a whole nother scenario but bunch of animals pretty much you've given yourself a chance to you know they're gonna fight amongst themselves for 17 hours no, uh, for a couple minutes trying to figure out what to do that's fine you bought yourself a minute or two uh, the the next part is i think having to do with amount of time being a dm i think it's a confidence level because when you were saying make them a two-dimensional character yeah it's real simple you make them you know my son's playing witcher 3 right now um yeah i'm letting my 10 year old play witcher 3 don't fucking judge me uh i'm judging you enough yeah for everyone exactly so he doesn't get to see certain cutscenes. big deal 
certain players in that game are two-dimensional. They're just all you do is you win the computer games. You walk up, you click a button, they tell you the same thing four hundred times, and that's it. And you realize, okay, the guy's got no more information. I'm not going to bother with it anymore. I think a newer DM worries that every single interaction with every single person that the party talks to has to be this fleshed out, deep, rich character or that the party's going to get bored and they're going to think they're a bad DM. And we've kind of been talking about from the DM's perspective, uh, improv type things. Um, And it is important. Like, I enjoy improv. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called Unframed, where it's talking about how uh, to be a better GM when it comes to improving and things of like that. And so there's a lot of information about how, uh, not just saying yes and, but also having different ideas in your head already put in place. So then, you know, you're not coming from something completely from scratch. You already have a couple of vague ideas in the back of your head that you've been working on. And so it's more than just, when you're preparing for uh, your your main quest, also think of potential side quests that could be happening. I have a document that just has a bunch of small, like, half-formed sentences that are just ideas for uh, basic side quests that people can go on if it comes to that. You know, if you, if, if my party is like, you know what, I really want to go find me a dryad out in the trees and make some arrows out of her, because I'll make magical arrows, right? And it's just like, coming out of nowhere, just like, that's a sure you're like your inside voice is going you're an idiot (laughs) your outside voice is being like yeah you can see what happens actually i mean i kind of like the idea of making magical arrows that way oh boy (laughs) all right um but for players themselves uh to when you should be uh like when you guys are improving and things of that nature (laughs) you mean we're just fucking making shit up (laughs) when you're yelling at me (laughs) over each other trying to see who can hit on the barmaid the loudest that sounds about right. <laughs> how do you guys feel about, uh, well, how do you, I guess, feel about entering scenes um, or uh, taking part in the improv and things of that nature? Like how, like if you see that uh, another player is talking to me kind of in character uh, and I'm acting like the mayor of the town and stuff, like how do you feel like, uh, when do you feel like you are ready to jump into the scene? How do you feel, um, how do you f- what do you feel like your role is whenever you're improving and things of that nature? Well, interesting question because that plays into, if I hit that thing one more time, if that plays into, I think, more personality mm-hmm. than it does the situation for a character. For example, you, again, I reference the table we play at a lot and I will reference it again. There are certain people at the table that I know feel much more comfortable doing the voices and being at the forefront of the discussion and the conversation. I'm one of them. I like the interaction. I like the funny voices you do, and I like arguing back in my stupid voices. You made my three funny voices I do. Yes. Well, which has now increased from two. <laughs> and everything else is in this weird Scottish accent. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'm really into... Yeah, Jesus, I, I can't do it here. I know. <laughs> Too much pressure, Chris. But I mean, I mean, I've decided that my character in that campaign is going to be the tick. So... Yes, we are going on an adventure, and what can I do for you today? And you found mithril plates. And so I have mithril plates. You and it's basically look blue. like it. I need a helm with a little antenna, and I am the dick. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I like doing that. I find the role-playing aspect part of the game really fun. There's individuals at our table that, that, that I don't know, they have the same, they don't want to do the voices. They don't. 
Good for yeah. them. If they don't want to, that's their prerogative. Yeah, and there should never be any uh, oh, hell no. pressure some, for someone to, you, to a voice. If someone's shaming you into that, just shove a fucking yeah. D20 up their nose. Or speaking in the first person. like there, There's no problem if you're just like, yeah, Orc is just going to walk over there, beat the shit out of the bartender. Like, you don't need a first person that... <laughs> Can't talk in third person all the time. <laughs> Steven is doing a great job DMing. Steven is the best. Yes. Maybe the DM shouldn't third person themselves too often. You might want to stop that then in the games. Um, also, I'm going to write myself into the game somehow. I'm sure you will. <laughs> is it going to be like a Stan Lee writing yourself into the game? Oh, no. I'm going to be the big bad at the very end. I thought you were always the big bad. But anyways, the so I think it's a comfort level. I don't necessarily think it's the same where a DM, you feel, a DM feels like they're on the stage all the time. Yes, there's a certain spotlight always shining down on the DM. A player is a big character that you get to decide, I am not the star of this TV show. Steven's the star of the TV show at the table we're playing. Do I want to be a one-scene-only character? Do I want to be a reoccurring role that comes on through every season? I I don't know. That's up to the players. I would think the players are more like main characters. You would hope. Though some people... uh, some people uh, think they're the main well, character. Well, some people are hesitant slash scared of being a main character and kind of takes more of the role of a recurring character right? And the, at the table. Nothing wrong with that. But, well, I, I, would, uh, I would think that the DM would have a responsibility to create characters to specifically talk to the ones that haven't broken out of their shell yet. I, I would not, ag- not to force them. But to encourage them to talk a little bit. Like, if you have someone, like, if the rest of your party is, like, human, half-orc, elf, that type thing, and then you have, like, one tiefling, then the DM can create a character that is a tiefling, but only wants to talk to other tieflings. And this gives your tiefling player, who has been a little uh, uh, closed in, a chance to shine in that moment. Correct. No, and, and like, we've done that before, where certain... I guess we should say chapters of the overall campaign focus on a specific party member to make them feel loved and warmed and welcome. Unless it's Billy's campaign, because the whole adventure is Billy's campaign. Even <laughs> For some reason, everyone's decided to call our current main campaign Billy's campaign, which is one of the uh, characters in the party, even though I don't think we've really touched on his story at no, all and, and it's not that it's the reason that we do it is because your wife started doing it and i'm a little scared of her so i'm not <laughs> gonna say no we're not gonna do that the guy that's playing billy is like hell yeah my campaign wasn't well, it because he owns a house yeah that i got for it my <laughs> character got for him but we're just gonna leave that alone anyways so <sighs> all right i get that so here's i went back and i looked at the exact question that uh our buddy Stoney left for us here. And thanks, Stoney, again. And uh, we have the closing part for Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. So the question, the specific question was if my phone will work. Ah, there it is. Of course, it went all the way to the end. Improving combat descriptions. Oh, improv. Yeah, we are way off. Well, I wanted to do improv in general, but I also wanted to make sure that I specifically answered the question. I was just told improv. Yeah, I went with. I made it into improv. Okay. To be honest with you, but I wanted to make sure we well, actually answered. Just before specific. we talk about improv and combat, I just want to touch on players. Don't improv. touch me. No, don't. Oh, okay, I was like, don't touch the only player <laughs> that we know is touching on is me. And no, no, this isn't the Catholic Church. Yeah, I was going to say I was raised Catholic <laughs> in Boston, no less. <laughs> I'm now on the floor, curled up in a little ball, crying and rocking myself back and forth. Just so you know. The when it comes to players, 
and uh, they have not yet entered a, for lack of a better word, a scene. I think players should remind themselves that the spotlight isn't always on them, and those that often find themselves in the spotlight should remember to support other players so that they get to be in the spotlight more often when it comes to improvisation. Sure, you might be at your table the best at improvisation, and so you often take the spotlight, but you should remember to help out your fellow people at the at the table. If you can bring the spotlight to someone else and help support them during a scene, then it's more than just you having fun at the table. You are bringing someone else in there, and eventually, you know, they they might be comfortable enough where they can also start grabbing the scene themselves, and you get to, um, you know, ba- basically like you're the uh, the the tutor, and they're the protege, and you get to, uh, t- you know, show them how to improvise and things of that nature. Another thing is. Don't jump into a scene unless you feel like your character is needed or that you can... Uh, <laughs> You're going to contribute something. <laughs> yeah, Yes. Like, uh, I was watching um, one live show for the Glass Cannon podcast where they're like, so audience, if you feel like you need to uh, contribute something to the podcast, remember or ask yourself first, is what I'm about to say really, really funny? <laughs> if it isn't, don't do it. Nice. I think you can... Uh, in a funny way to draw that back to your own character like is the thing i'm about to say next is it needed for this scene is it needed for this conversation is me saying uh making a wisecrack joke that will kind of derail what's going on in the scene really needed for uh, uh this situation so you know uh be a little uh retrospective about when you jump into a scene if you if you feel like you aren't getting the spotlight enough, then maybe talk to your DM about it. Talk to your other players that you don't feel like uh, your your position at the table is being you know uh, focused on or uh, prior or uh, you know your your character is just being ignored more often. You know, and and that's you should always be talking to your table if problems like that are arising. Are you feeling that way in Me's Grand Adventure? No, I feel like I'm getting uh, a good. Uh, dose of the spotlight in me's grand adventure. Considering it's just me. Yes. Anyway, uh, you right. know, actually, actually, how I prefer it. <laughs> you know, actually, Chris, I'm going to need you to leave the show so it can just be me. <laughs> I am going to run my own campaign with my own character. Uh, no, and that's I'll a good. Probably point. kill off me in like the first <laughs> session. Great. <laughs> that's a good point. The it is hard for it is hard for people of certain personality traits to sometimes understand that there's you're playing a team game and there's other people there that should be involved i'll be the first to admit i will force myself in the situation sometimes if i a, if i a don't think they're going they're doing the things they should be b i'm bored because we're going to spend 15 minutes arguing about one little thing about one gold piece yeah. when it comes to shopping yeah or you know something silly where we're just going around and around in circles and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at that point and see my that just lends itself to my personality in game out of game wherever i just yeah grumpy I, old man i'm just kind of loud um <laughs> so one of the things i have learned is it's almost as important as talking to the player's character in game is making sure you're actually you, you don't live life in game talking to the person sitting across from the table the player after the game because some people they still maybe be like hey this is my thought process around there and to your point some people need to be brought out of their shell guarantee you that a lot of these people that need to be brought out of their shell as the characters maybe are going to be a little harder to talk to as a person 
conflicts. Maybe they don't feel comfortable with conflict. Maybe they don't feel they don't want to try to step feel like they're stepping on people's toes. If you're going to have that conversation, don't do it in this context of, you know, hey, what'd you think? Because they're immediately going to agree with you and be like, oh, yeah, I thought everything was great. And then that's going to reinforce your ego to continue to do what you're doing. Pick up on verbal cues. Pick up on nonverbal cues. You know, think about ask open-ended questions. Hey, we did this. What do you think we should have done? Or what were you thinking we should do? And I found that I work better with people at the table now because I've had those conversations with people where either I thought someone was upset or I was upset about something that happened after the game and was just upfront and honest and then asked them what they thought and what they would have done. And I think easily it's made me a better player. But I a think, more enjoyable person to be around, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to work on that for a long time. Um, but I think it also makes it a better table, not just for me, and not just because I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm actually trying to be a good person. Don't laugh too loud. But <laughs> other people, yeah, exactly. Other people. <laughs> I couldn't keep it in. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, if people do that outside of the table, like you're talking afterwards, being like, pe- a person shouldn't be scared to say, well, man, I wish you hadn't have done that because I was going to do X, Y, and Z. And now all of a sudden you can stop and say to yourself, oh, I never actually asked this question. I just ran in like an idiot. And then you stop and say, like I always do, to do what I wanted to do instead of talking to the group, instead of seeing what the other options were, to working as a party because it's a team game. That's hard sometimes. You forget that. You think my own ego and arrogance runs rampant if it's not checked occasionally. I can admit that. So it's always good to have someone to put it in check. Not in the violent, scary way that uh, someone does at our table yesterday, but I'm just scared of Katie anyways. <laughs> Love you, Katie. Um, no, it no, doesn't. It, it's good to keep people in. It, you know, there's got to be a balance. Yeah. So, Which I think uh, is a good enough stopping point for improv as a broad category and to go back to our main question that i didn't know about <laughs> which well was, maybe you should actually read what our patrons sent you i just forget mm. <laughs> one of those All right. so the exact one if you could discuss ways discuss ways to improv combat descriptions i have if i have the time to sit and think about think about it i come up with all kinds of cool shit on the fly they sound repetitive okay well uh so this is a real narrowed down version of the of the improv. And it's something that I uh, describing combat is something that I have to remind myself to do during combat because uh, I can get caught up in just that hits that doesn't hit, and then I'm like writing down numbers quick, uh, saying you know uh, describing how um, or like keeping track of the numbers and stuff. And so a couple of things that I typically fall back on is I'll describe if I know like this monster is resistant or immune to a certain damage type that I'm going to get hit with. I make sure that I highlight to the players. Yeah. So when you attacked it, like your sword definitely connected, but not all like it, it wasn't as strong as you were hoping for. And they kind of understand that as resistance and, um, in a mechanical sense of it, or, you know, the, the, uh, the wizard casts firebolt at some sort of, uh, we'll say a red dragon off the top of my head. Uh, and, you know, like the firebolt slams into the red dragon, but it doesn't seem to care. <laughs> you, you know, you and you do it, that with that head tilt yeah. that you just did in well, one side. <laughs> it's like, well, and like, like the, uh, and, you know, you can also express a lot of flavor when it comes to your own body language mm-hmm. when you're describing damage. Because, like Chris was just saying, like when I said doesn't seem to care, I was also like cocking my head, like the dragon's like staring at you like a little bit like bemused at your like pitiful attempts at attacking it 
Like, hey, bitches, I'm a red dragon. <laughs> Everybody knows fire doesn't work. I think me. he's colorblind. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Actually, that would be in- interesting because our current wizard is uh, a fire genasi. And so he sees, with his dark vision, everything in, like, shades of red. So, I mean, any dragon he faces is just a different shade of red. Is that in your Wednesday campaign? <laughs> is that Mike? No, that's you. Alex. <laughs> wow, God, I'm paying attention to what it is. <laughs> I didn't realize he was... All right, anyways. I'll yes. talk to Alex a little bit more about that then. Um, you I always have a spotlight on yourself. I haven't been playing the Tuesday campaign. I was always Friday campaign. I kind of jumped in the middle. Okay. And, yeah, and so, you know, you can use uh, some body language to kind of express things. I, uh, personally, cannot sit down during a combat. I am constantly standing up, and I'm moving around the table whenever I'm describing things. And so, you know, when someone says that they're going to hit me, you know, I'll I'll uh, try to uh, role-play it out with them a little bit. You know, like, uh, they'll be like, all right, I'm just going to swing and hit them. Uh, I got a 16, and I know their AC is 18. I'll be like, all right, so as you like try to swing in, unfortunately, they bring their shield up enough time, uh, in enough time, and it just kind of like clangs off of it. Or if I know that they, um, if I know that, like, they got like an, they rolled an 8, uh, which would be below, you know, 10 plus your dexterity modifier, you know, you can describe it as, you know, uh, as the sword comes down, like, they easily move out of the way. And you can kind of take into account uh, their what their AC is. You know, most creatures' AC starts with 10 plus their dex. If they have a certain type of armor on, then it can jump around, increase, things like that. And so you can kind of take into account which increments would be they move out of the way, which increments are it, like, clangs uselessly off their armor. What's another one that's, like, it just, like, hits into their shield and things like that nature. When you roll that one on that stealth check like I did last night? Yes. <laughs> when you roll a, a one on a stealth check, you... Apparently, I was carrying a set of 12 pots and pans that I dropped and then fell on top. Oh, well, the Inflate. problem was you just <laughs> didn't have enough of a bonus to your stealth check. Yeah, at zero. Uh, <laughs> I was the, like, for at least a plus nine. Yeah, no. The, it's, it is hard. It's hard enough as a player to think about giving a verbal description of what you are physically doing to describe visually yeah what you want people to well personally i think everyone could uh benefit from standing up and like mm-hmm. uh kind of acting out a little bit as they're rolling their dice see and i that's but then you know there's a lot of moving yeah. arms yeah i know we and then a... you guys are just that step closer to hitting me <laughs> we have a big room down here but we need a bigger room the you are trying to describe how people are supposed to close their eyes and visually see what you're doing mm-hmm. as a player and you're only having to do it once around. It's a challenge. Yeah, well, and I think... And um, for a DM, you're doing it four, five, six, unless you're me, once around. Well, and that's one way that you can speed up combat is just by uh, describing the scene over and over for each person. So, like, not being repetitive, but sometimes if I feel like someone hasn't been paying attention as close as they should be... Um, what? Chris. <laughs> I will I will look at them and be like, all right, so it's your turn. You can see that uh, this character is getting attacked. You can see that a couple of arrows are shooting out at uh, this character. What are you going to do? You can see that there's a couple of people in, like describing to them their placement on the board. I mean, we do use a grid. And so, I mean, they can see it off of a grid, but they can also experience like, where are people attacking from? You know, you can describe like the uh, the firebolt whizzing past your ear, like slamming into the Sahagan in front of you and things of that nature. Like, describing the scene uh 
just for like two or three seconds before you ask that character what they're going to do mm-hmm. uh, can go a long way to help bringing the scene to life for them. And then eventually players might feel comfortable enough where they're also describing what they're going to do. You know, they'll, they'll be like, all right, I'm going to rip out my sword and I'm just going to charge in and start slashing into them. You know, that that's evocative. Whereas opposed to I'm going to move 20 feet and uh, attack the first guy, roll dice. You know, it, that's less exciting. And that's less exciting for me as a DM to hear just because, you know, what? I also want to hear it. And so another way that I try to encourage it, but I, I, I'm going to be honest, I forget a lot, is, uh, you know, asking people uh, the same thing that Matt Mercer always asks them, like, how do you want to do this? You know, uh, how do you want to kill this person? Or right, things which of that is, nature. I think, the end result of where all these problems started. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just way too sad after you guys kill my monster to want to know how you guys gloat and kill me. <laughs> no, and I mean, I think, and, and there's the challenge, I think, that a lot of people run into. There's a million actual play podcasts out there and there are some really good dms i mean it's i would say a majority of people have the most experience with matt mercer from critical mm-hmm. role obviously being one of the most popular Who? exactly that's where i know him from mm-hmm. um and they see this four hour video on youtube or listen to the podcast and they're like holy shit every single time they talk like they're in a fight it's this descriptive piece of art that i want to be like well number one i mean it takes more than yeah and it (laughs) it takes more than just like the gm describing yes and he's been in that role for a whole time i think he played like the uh one e or he started with one e he's been playing for a long long time and finally look at and go back and listen to and look at critical role they don't fight that much they really don't there's yeah. a lot of great narrative and there's it's it is it's story time. And that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm not this is not a bash on them. But people, you know, it is a combat-based game and in our and you know, in our campaign, we fight a lot. That is an there's an entertainment you don't fight value, that much. Well, comparatively to how much we die. Um <laughs> Well, that's just your poor yeah, dice rolling. Exactly. Don't touch my new dice. They were rolling great. The <laughs> They were rolling great for me too. <laughs> The loud thumping you're going to hear is Stephen hitting the floor after I hit him. The it's a, they're telling a story. So when it comes to actual combat, there's less pressure because it's. I mean, they fight what in a four hour thing? Maybe twice? Maybe once? Maybe yeah. twice? I, I mean, twice max is all I can remember. Yeah, twice max, but that's also because combat can take a little bit. But I mean, true. So you don't have to worry about as much improv. Yeah. Well, and part of that is that they're also experienced improv voice actors like exactly they are well versed in um uh in that type of thing and they are interested in you know describing things and playing things out because i mean they're they're fucking actors that yeah and and i actors are weird people yeah they are i like i mean and that's one of the reasons that we're doing the our actual play 1v1 so that you can become an actor yes all right um in my own mind is to get my feet back underneath me to dm at the table again for a larger group and the first thing the reason i really wanted to do this was you stoney had sent this pretty much right after i think the right around right before right no right after we recorded the second episode of me's first adventure and you had finally killed somebody so there was an actual battle going on and spoilers dude yeah (laughs) and i didn't say that you lived through the entire battle but spoilers i did <laughs> barely 
Uh, maybe we should set it up later. Like, is it, if we get to some climactic kind of ending, do like the old Batman and Robin comics where it just does, they had this thing where Robin was either going to live or die and they put it out to the public and you get to vote and see what your public thinks. You know, all 80 people that the public loves me. Yeah, uh huh. Not you, but me. So <laughs> one of the things that I, I immediately thought of when wait, I saw this question. Wait, was, wait, wait. Just take a step. They would vote on whether Robin lives or dies. It was the, second robin or third i can't remember which robin it was it was a long time ago everybody fucking hated the guy they just did not like the character so it was uh it wasn't killing joke or was it killing joke anyways might have been the killing joke joker had robin and he had him like basically stayed beating him with an inch of his life and was joker standing over with a pipe and batman was too far away to do anything and he was just like do i kill him do i not and they left it like that and they were like meh do we kill him huh Yep. Was it actually like a poll where people would like write in? It was and, a big. It was, it was a big thing. Oh man! And I'm not going to tell you what how it landed. Now I just want to like get like critical role success, and then just at the end of every session, just be like, "All right, which one's next, guys?" <laughs> <laughs> so I guess not every session, but you know, at, at the big, end of the big boss fight. Yeah, there you go. So I was I gave some serious thought about that because one of the parts that I focused on when on the second episode was combat. In giving a lot of description on exactly what was happening. It's easy because it was one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I had, what, two, three creatures? Yeah. First encounter, well, first part of the encounter was two creatures and then, and then it was one. one creature. So, but it was an opportunity for me to do the piece that, you know, we've been talking about here, the combat interaction to really get back into that descriptive narrative. I think that makes the game combat-based game combat descriptions important in combat based game anybody can weave a story but you know talking about like i you know i, rem- I was like okay you like to your point it missed by one fucking point so you got the shield up and it thunked right into the very top of the shield you know and the descriptive narrative of where you stabbed him i'm like when you're rolling 18 um you know i'm just like are you kidding me and describing how the blade goes in and how much blood comes out basing it off the rolls and i don't think i actually realized i was doing it off the rolls and then when you mentioned that like oh yeah you know ac10 i was like huh i was actually subconscious at doing it not as structured but really high roll a really ugly description of what happened to him a really bad roll you stumble a really close roll it was tense well yeah and and part of that can really help um as a dm when you're describing how uh like if like the attack hits or you know more importantly like if the, if the attack fails how it fails you know if they mm-hmm. roll a 13 uh, just a 13 and like the uh the person is able to move out of the way then that can t- let the people know that oh they have a pretty good dex they have like at least three uh, points to their dexterity modifier because they, they they were able to move out of the way of the blow. If I say it like scrapes along their armor, then they're like, oh, we just got to get like another point or two higher. We're going to get there mm-hmm. unless they have a shield. And then it's like it scrapes along their armor. Uh, they still have a shield, though. So, you know, it, it helps them kind of imagine. All right. So uh, we got to we got to get a lot higher because they got a shield on and I only just hit their armor, you know, and and but if I'm like I'm describing like they barely get the shield up in time, then that's kind of code for me to tell them like hey one more point higher that's their ac you can get there yeah it should be an indication to a person with half a brain uh that 
You're damn close. Yeah, and and I'll say one more thing is think about how your environment might react to spells being cast. Yesterday, we were running through the final enemy, um, which is in the Ghost of Salt Marsh, where it's you have to infiltrate into the Sahuagin, uh, Sahagin Fortress um, that was taken over from the Lizard Folk. And so, like, it was, like, pitch black. And so, you know, I was describing... Uh, like guiding bolts being shot down the dark hallways, and then they just like really hurt. lighting you guys up, literally. Um, yeah, and so uh, or talking about how um, like a fireball being shot down there, you guys can see like maybe not like the beat of fireball itself, but as soon as it explodes, like you just see everyone just kind of like lit up for like like the briefest uh, glimpse. Like you could see like uh, <laughs> a lot uh, like, of things people, that we need to like, run away running from, <laughs> away, yeah, you know, or trying to move out of the way of the big explosion. So. Thinking about how your environment might impact how people might be fighting. Because if you're like tight quarters and someone misses, you can be like, as you go to swing your sword, unfortunately, like you hit like the ceiling that's like directly above your head. And so you're like showering yourself with dirt, things of that nature. Yeah. And and do you think that there's more pressure to come up with descriptions that are original for criticals, hits or misses? Uh, I think. I, I think I kind of fall back when it comes to... I don't ever pay attention to critical misses, because I don't care. I mean, it's like, oh, you got a one? Well, that's that's bad enough, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, swung a little too far. And no, See, I love... Next time. Critical misses, to me, are more fun than critical hits. Well, it's like, with critical hits, like, you know, you're like you buried the blade deep into them. Um, or it's like, you, you found, like, a, a weakness in their armor. You're able to, like, shove your, your dagger in there. Um, like, critical misses, though, it's like... Stab yourself in the eye. Yeah, it's like as you go to lunge forward, the blood from your victim, your previous victim, <laughs> you slip in it and slide forward, barely catching yourself, but feeling that slight pull in your groin where you know <laughs> realize I don't want to do that again. Well, I think the problem for me with um, uh, critical misses, like that idea beyond just an in, uh, an automatic miss, is just that like it kind of makes the uh, the characters a little bit too cartoonish. Like, oh, no, there was why, a banana up here. That's why I like it. I think it it's a perfect opportunity See, like, to add humor. I guess I just don't like um, like making characters feel kind of cartoonish. I, I still want them to feel like badasses. See, I think in the middle of a heroic fight where you're almost going to die, there needs to be a little humor right. running. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Person who's playing the, the tick, you can, uh, every time you critical miss, which is like, Three or four times. I get times to describe it. <laughs> every encounter, I'll let you describe how you fuck up. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the uh, And topic for another time, which we are going to touch on. It is bullshit that for a critical hit, there's a bonus. And for a critical miss, there's not as a standard. There are... Bonus? A, a critical hit, roll a 20. What do you get, Steven? You get to double your dice. Right. Critical miss, what do you get, Steven? You miss. That's bad enough. Nope. Should be more. Why is hurting yourself the ideal? Because I'm going back. You're in- like a misogynist or I'm, a masochist. I'm stepping back into the DM role slowly but surely. Ah, God, I hate. So Pathfinder like three E. I hate the like the critical hit effects or like the critical miss effects because then it's just you're just being mean to like fighters because wizards are like I don't have to worry about that. I can just make you do saves all day. I don't have to worry about ever do, uh, dealing with that. Or, like, people who only get, like, one attack. 
they're going to have less critical misses and less critical hits. Oh, wow. Whereas fighters, they're far more likely to get a critical miss or a critical hit like in their turn, which kind of makes them look like buffoons. Like, oh, you overextended yourself and you stabbed yourself in the back with your own sword to deal normal damage to yourself. Really? This coming from you would just say roll fucking better usually to us at the table? Yeah. That is far less demeaning than just like... Uh, grossing yourself. I think for- there should be, my personal opinion is, I think there should be a percentage table. You critical miss, you have to roll percentile dice, and it's a small percentage, but then something bad happens to you. Okay, no. I, I completely disagree. Because well, it makes, uh, you, you guys are you fucking heroes. You might want to get ready for this. You guys yeah. are professional heroes. Why are you acting like fucking buffoons on the battlefield? You just, me, might want to get ready for this. No, I think this is a conversation we'll have at a later date yes. on the podcast. Fine. Anyways. Because I want to cuss more. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, let me end with this question then. Do you think it is more important to have good combat descriptions than it is for good descriptions other places in the story? Uh, I think that uh, combat descriptions and describing the rest of the place can kind of go hand in hand because if you describe the room to the players, then you can then take that description and bring it into the combat itself. You know, if you describe that there's a chandelier up there, all of a sudden, you know, your uh, the the either the players can interact with that chandelier, like maybe like cutting the rope and like the chandelier comes crashing down onto the enemies, or the enemies can be creative and like cut the rope and the chandelier comes crashing down on the players. See now, if the you know if you make a, a don't stand on the chandelier, Chris, yeah, and then you they make a they have a critical fail and they roll a one, then it, something bad could happen to them. Uh, but I think the more practice you have coming up with um, uh, descriptions in and out of combat can help influence your descriptions on the opposite side of that. So if you uh, become better at describing how combat works, you can better start describing how rooms work at like the last second if they go kind of uh, off the beaten path, as it were. If you get better at describing how rooms that you kind of plan out are, you can start better describing how uh, combat goes by kind of having a couple of ideas as to what things look like. Now, I mean, you're saying, like, you slash out with your sword. Uh, you can say that a couple of times in a combat. It's fine, but, you know, mix it up. Like, you know, you uh, parry the blow away, then you go into strike. You know, have a couple of different things that you use as descriptions. And then for mechanical uh, purposes, like, you know, resistance or, uh, like, you're not hitting against their armor class. Like, you can have, like, set things that you say to help the players understand what's going on. Yeah. Like, if I say, like, you slam against their shield then that uh, is always code for me to you guys that, hey, you either need to do one or two more points or higher on your to hits, and that's going to be their armor class. If I say, you know, like you slam your sword against them, but it doesn't seem like they're affected that much, or, you know, you, you're expecting a lot more from your sword hit, that is code for you guys. Hey, this person is resisting this, whatever yeah. you're trying to do against them. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they just stand at, looking at you and just cock their head a little bit run just, <laughs> yeah. just run they're immune to what you just did you know i i have certain things that i repeat over and over for combats based off of mechanical uh, uh effects yeah. I, I mean weaving a story a descriptive story that is your overall arc for your campaign setting is easy to do you're going to be in easier to do let me rephrase that you're going to run into the situations like we talked with before where you're going to be put on the spot because your players are going to do the exact opposite of what you're going to want them to do. And I think you brought up a good point. Give yourself a second. Figure out how to either 
include it into your existing story or steer them back to uh, where you need them to be. You're not railroading them. You're just you're putting them back on track. There's a big difference. Um, that general overall kind of uh, storytelling is something you either have or you don't. And if you have it, you make you, you start off in the plus one column as a DM. It's when you get down into the nitty gritty, not just a random situation where you're not having to think on the fly, but where it is six seconds. You're going around a table and five people are doing something within six seconds that you feel the pressure of having to create something unique to keep them engaged. Because as I'll say it again, it's a combat-based game. If combat's boring, people are going to think the game's boring. They're going to think you're a bad DM. So you're having to come up with things on the fly. Having a set of stock things that you use, like you said, you know, it's okay to say you stab them with a sword a couple times. Yes, you have some cues, verbal or verbal or visual, that the players should, if they're not idiots, pick up on so that they know I have to hit more or they probably are immune to this. That adds a whole flavor that takes away a little of having that panic improv having to be done all the time. But some of it is just coming up with shit on the fly. Maybe you just need to know, okay, if you're worried about doing improv for your monsters, know what each monster has for a weapon. That's one of the first places I start is knowing who has what for a weapon. So it makes it easier for me to describe. Me's Grand Adventure, me has a rapier. I can't say me's going to slash down and, you know, make some weird sound over the, 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 the top of their, uh, their scale mail and have it have the same effect if he had a long sword. It's a pointy stick. So when they stab somebody, they pierce through the gap in their armor and it slides in. And when they pull it out, the blood spurts out with it. An axe is a giant cleaving motion. Axe cleaving, use that a lot in your descriptions. Arrows make can make fun sounds, can do fun things when they go through the middle of someone's skull and the brain comes out in the backside and the little glop on the, the arrow tip. Weapons, for me, were the key. Weapons and armor are the key for starting off at the very ground zero of what I'm going to do to describe. Then, I can't get up and dance around like Steven. I'm old. I'll fall over. I'd be I'd be critical missing every time. If it was based on what I was we'll doing, yeah, it would be like I'd like jump up and fall over and be like, huh, you critical missing, you didn't even have to roll dice. Um whatever feels like fits for you, find something and use it, and then you'll see how easier it becomes over time. You just build your stock. You know, you may have ten things to start and you're like, Wow, they're getting bored. Add two things new. Add two new things new. Next thing you know, yeah, okay, I'm saying the same things over and over again, but I have 50 things to say over and over again, so you're not really re repeating yourself. Yeah, and I'll put one last note before we go off to the next topic. Uh, no long monologues describing what you're doing. You know, if if you're running down the hallway, don't be like, I'm going to put one step in front of the other as I run down this hallway, this darkened hallway. You can see that there are the runes as my torchlight passes over, illuminating them. As I come barreling down onto the wizard, his fear striking in his face as I raise my blade up to, like... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got, uh, you know, combat already takes long enough. We don't, we don't need three minutes of you describing how you run down the hallway. You have just guaranteed yourself rolling a one right there. <laughs> the gods will hate you at some point and they'll be like, yep, one. And then Steve will be like, mm, yeah, I think maybe now is the time to institute those battles. I would never do that. Liar. All right. What I'm a nice person, Chris. All right. So for our next part, uh, Chris, what'd you want to talk about? Homebrew items. Oh. <laughs> More specifically, uh, we're going to talk about Chris's favorite thing, which is uh, the ship that allows him to travel the planes. A planescape ship, or a spell jammer. Yep. Uh, so the players recently, well, not I guess recently, uh, a couple of months ago, they found a, uh, a spell jammer called an angel ship, 
which, uh, according to lore, uh, so the Angel ship is a kobold ship that is rarely seen in space. They once comprised the backbone of the kobold space fleet, uh, but were nearly wiped out of existence by the elven armada. They were named for a kobold legend of winged humans who healed fallen warriors. Now, of course, that was from Spelljammer, so it doesn't have a direct correlation to Planescape and things like that. But I, I, I decided that Spelljammer ships can, of course, fly the Planescape, which I think is also what they decided in 4E, based off of, uh, like, Manual of the Planes and uh, different things like that, because they call the ship Spelljammers that can travel across the Astral Sea. And so, uh, I picked the angel ship because it started with A when I was looking up spell jammer ships. And I was like, that sounds good enough. And then I read a little bit about <laughs> and then the it was information. Kobolds. And then it was kobold ships. And I was like, perfect. This is what they need. <laughs> so, um, basically they found the ship, uh, after the, uh, they were tasked with retrieving cargo, uh, that had gone, uh, that had gotten stolen from their benefactor. And so, they were like, oh, we could keep this and, you know, maybe fix it up a little bit and uh, turn it into something nice. No, that's not what I said, but what? Uh, that's what uh, two people said. And the rest of the party were like, meh, whatever. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, but basically, I then came up with the the ship was badly uh, hurt, uh, badly destroyed. And so I ha- came up with a bunch of, uh, I came up with a document about how they could fix the ship based off of how they could do it, um, you know, after combats and things like that. After it takes a little bit of damage, they could spend, you know, a couple of days like repairing things. But basically, I gave them, it has like, its hull is almost completely destroyed. Its helm is, uh, has like one point left. Uh, the spell keel is looking bad. The ballista and the mangonels were completely destroyed in the encounter because you know the the ship that you guys were on to attack the ship didn't want to get hit anymore so they just blew up those those weapons and so i came up with a small document and i'll share this about how you can use the angel fish and how you can repair it and things of that nature and really all i did here um was just go into 4e and then i also grabbed my ghost of salt marsh book so the ghost of salt marsh book uh, ha- and the of ships and seas of ships and seas unearthed arcana. Uh, Say that five times fast. I don't. It, it, no. No. <laughs> of ships and seas. And sub- <laughs> they have uh, stat blocks for ships, you know, waterborne ships. So, in other words, just start saying boats, all right? Uh, they're, they're, they're ships. Come on now. But fly in space. Not a space game. Yes, angel ship. Not a space game. We're not in space. We're in the planes. Uh, it's fantasy. <laughs> Uh, but basically, I uh, leaned heavily on what's already been written. Like, I took the information that was provided in previous editions about angel ships and things of that nature. I brought that in to my own campaign and how I could address that for that. For the mechanics, I just saw what else has Watsy been working on recently and how can I tr- uh, translate that over into um, something that can actually be... Uh, uh, functional in a 5e campaign uh, when it comes to planescape ships and also i was looking at my 4e books on you know what did they do for spell jammers and things of that nature way back when and so basically it's just merging the two together and so that's whenever you're trying to come up with you know these big homebrew things is what's been done in the past what's being done now that kind of loosely translates over into it and how can you combine those in such a way that it, it makes sense for your game 
quick question before you continue on talking about the silly angel ships Go and, for it. and the silly planes. Um, do you find that people, this is more of a, a broad question, homebrew in general? Yeah. Do you think people just try and make up some of the worst stuff you've seen because they're trying to be so utterly original? I mean, people think that homebrew has to be something that is totally unique and brand new. Like, homebrews, like, working, like, it's like making a recipe. Home, every homebrew you read out there should be based off of a really good recipe, and you're tweaking it to make it your own so that you can serve it in your place, whether that's your house or a restaurant. You know, there's no coming up with an original idea. You'll be banging your head against the wall forever. Do you think that it's? Do you think that's your? If you were going to tell people how to do a guideline of uh, how to make a homebrew, and for like the angelfish that you just described, is that probably the best way to do it? Look at what people have done before. Look at what they're thinking of now. Add your own twist to it and move forward. Was that your basic recipe for doing a good homebrew? Any type of homebrew. Yeah, like monsters. I'd look at what other monsters are similar in the CR that I'm looking for and translate that over. You work with spells or magic items or, I mean, mechanics, things of that nature. Like anything can just get re... Like basically anything can be reflavored to be something else like if mm-hmm. if you really like the uh what the dmg has to say about um extreme weather effects when you're high up altitude type thing but your people are you know going to be going to you know uh, a kind of a more of a a mad wizard wizards a mad wizard's tower where uh he's doing like weird control uh weird weather effects or uh trying to siphon the air out of the rooms like that's a good place where you can start bringing in those mechanics or things of that nature or if you want to try and uh oh you don't like that the fireball does fire damage you rather have like this huge ball of ice well you know you can start with the fireball change the uh the damage type to ice now is the explosion of ice what you're going for or did you want that huge ice and how would that work well you can look at you know uh Sneelox snowballs i think is what it's called is a smell where a smell a spell where you launch a bunch of tiny little snowballs at people like awesome. is that what you want well you yes. can start like slowly changing things around yep. and don't how. change that spell ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you start changing things around as to uh kind of what you envision things to be okay no and i and the reason I ask that is with the amount of homebrew that we both have been doing over over the period of time. I mean, when I say we, I mean I make some stuff up and then you fix it and then you make your own. Um, one of the challenges I thought that I kept running into was I'm trying to be so overly unique and original that it looked like it belonged on D&D Wiki with all the other garbage that was out there. Uh, and I think, I, you know, you get into your own head about what you're supposed to be doing um, and trying to make this new fantastic thing that everybody will be like wow no (laughs) yeah well and and that's kind of the the problem is you have a specific idea in your head and maybe you you're so caught up with trying to fulfill that vision that you can't take a step back and figure out how does that how is this going to fit into the game as a whole you know if you're trying to build a uh, a commando from aliens like what what are you willing to give up and what do you have to keep when it comes to building those right. uh building like that that uh kind of uh i guess class into your own 5e game and then you kind of have to take a step back and like do commandos really fit in my you know ancient medieval times era game maybe sure, not automatic weapons are fine yeah <laughs> uh all right so are uh, your stupid angelfish ship yeah. i mean the beautiful angelfish well, basically ship. All I did was I found things that happened way back in the past. Mm-hmm. 
I take I mostly I just taken the lore from there and then a couple of ideas about like, you know, oh, this had like this really cool weapon that I might like or things like that. And then I translate it over into 5e, like taking that lore, updating it if I need to for my world. And then I just find something else that someone else has done. Like, I'll, of course, I'll look at the published material first, like Waltzy's stuff. Um, and I was lucky that, you know, they just recently came out with ship stuff. So, hey, perfect timing. Uh, I can just grab some of that. I can translate it over as to what a spell jammer might have, might be capable of. Um, I think really the, the biggest thing was uh, I gave it a flying travel play pace and then I specified it can't land in water. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that theirs is all about being in water. Now this one can't. So I think that was really the biggest thing besides uh, uh, adding in that it has a spell keel which propels it forward. But I mean, they also have oars or sails that propel their mm-hmm. ships forward. And so, you know, it's, while it might look different, it's, it's pretty much the same when you start unflavoring things. How do you balance... We're talking about a ship here. So ship's going to have weapons and a ship's going to have a base armor class and it's going to have hit points basically. Yeah. But you could, that could be said for any monster that you're creating, um, mm-hmm. any subclass you're making up. You have to have some of these, these same items. Where do you get the information? How do you do it so that it makes sense for your ship and you're, you're not A, breaking the game by making it ridiculously powerful or B, just making it up? Like, what are you using for reference points to make it work in 5e? Well, you, again, it's just looking at what's already there in 5e. Okay. I mean, if you're trying to make a new spell, you know, you can't just make a first level spell that uh, is like the same effects as power word kill or power word pain. You know, you, you have to kind of pay attention to what do other things inside the game operate at this level. No, and I get that. But for like for the ship. For the ship. I mean, there there isn't much to the ship. Right. Um, but like you, a ship has a base armor class, right? Correct. Where'd uh, you get the? How'd you figure that out? I just looked at what they did. Okay. And then I kind of adjusted based off of what my idea of the materials involved were. So you know they're thinking, oh, these ships are going to be of wooden construction. It's like, well, this one's going to have metal on it. Well, uh, if it has metal, it's going to be a little bit higher of an armor class than what wood would be. Um, well, I know that plate's eighteen, but yeah, that seems a little high for what we're going here. You know, you be. There, there's a little bit of juggling around. Now, I don't really have, you know, uh, something to compare, uh, you know, right. a massive spell jammer, Angelfish 2 in 5e. Um, right. And, yet. you know, like the <laughs> other day, uh, uh, Descent from Avernus isn't out yet, and I had players going into hell, and I wanted the infernal uh, uh, war machines uh, to travel in. And I was like, well, I'll just go ahead and make some shit up. So I was working off of Ghosts of Saltmarsh, taking those boats, translating them into, hey, how would an infernal war machine happen? And so I was trying to figure out, you know, how, when it comes to driving, what's that going to look like? When it comes to actions, things of that nature, which I'll share what I, I came up with um, just for fun. Um, just in case it's exactly what they came up with. <laughs> uh, I will be quite pleased with myself. Um, but, you know, it's like taking into account what's already been done. And then just some things are just going to have to be more of a, a balance off of feel. You know, you're, yep. you're going to balance it under fire. You know, I was uh, because I had just made it a couple of hours before we played that game that, uh, that night. I was balancing things on my end. You know, it was like, oh, are my um, little guys doing a little bit too much damage? Are they uh, are they are they moving around too much? Are are they too much of a challenge than what I was thinking they were? And really, it kind of comes down to just 
making a bunch of things and uh, kind of learning from past mistakes and seeing how they work. Like I've made several uh, subclasses and I would love to um, balance them more, but I also need to make sure I have players that are interested in playing those subclasses and things of that nature. So a spell drama ship seems like a massive undertaking for someone that is interested in homebrew. That is, it's a very unique kind of thing. single ship. It is. If you do the entire Spelljammer system, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Actually, I can link to one because there is a uh, someone's uh, been updating Spelljammers to five E, so I can I'll see if I can find that again. That's pretty cool, actually. Um, but that seems like a, a big undertaking. Um, but then when you stop and think about it, creating a subclass or a race or a class or a spell is also a big undertaking. Is there something you would recommend people that are interested in doing homebrew, like if they're going to start simple? What should they start with? I want to do homebrew, but I don't. I, I don't care. I don't even care what kind of homebrew it is. What What should I What should I make for my first homebrew? Oh, I mean, I think that's the bad position to go from. You should have a clear idea as to what you want You're to create. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess I want to dip magic my items. Inherently, are 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 broken as it were uh, in the system. So it's fine if they are powerful inside the game because I mean that's what magic items are. Now you don't want to go five sword of darkness too far off the d- uh, the deep end because you know you have to keep in mind what level are your players when it comes to creating a magic item. But I mean if you are okay with accepting that hey they are going to break the base game with a magic item, then, you know, make a magic item. Or uh, if you want a new spell, spells are uh, can be easy, so long as you pay attention to what else has been created before you. Uh, subclasses are definitely easier than classes, but that's just because subclasses only have, you know, anywhere from three to maybe five or six uh, features that they get throughout their progression. A class, though, you have to think about what features are they going to get from level one to twenty. And maybe you don't have to worry about a feature that they get for ASIs. But, I mean, that's still, like, uh, what was that, 14 or 16 mm-hmm. features you have to think about for that entire class. That's about right. Okay. Unless um, you're a wizard, in which case you have, like, five things, but then you have all the spells. Then you have spells. That's a <laughs> yeah. whole other issue. So, I guess, final question on your spell jammer. If you could, which I guess you can because you created it, if you can go back and change one thing about it, about what you have existing, so I'm going to co- print a copy of it now and then <laughs> take not. a look. Um, if you could change one thing about it, what would you change? And then if you decide to change it, how do you incorporate that into an existing homebrew that you're currently using? If I had to change one thing on this, oh, I'm kind of like happy if you're going through it, right let's, let's, it's in use and you realize, oh, I didn't think of this. Oh, we're abusing the shit out of it. Uh, then, oh, I guess, it, I mean, it doesn't require fuel right now. I guess that could be something where it's just like, Oops. yeah, you know, uh, maybe them just being able to travel wherever uh, without having to worry about, you know, the costs associated with traveling besides just, you know, days and traveling on the very dangerous astral sea. Oh, maybe that, mm, maybe that's not such a great idea. But, uh, like, the way you could introduce that is just, you, you could either, like, talk to your table, like, hey. Or it just uh, runs out of fuel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, well, you guys never checked the fuel tank. <laughs> you guys have been running on fumes for the last couple of uh, months. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. You just need a couple of vials of, of Orcus blood and you'll be fine. I mean, uh, that, 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 that could be one thing. Or just, like, start explaining to your parties, like, hey, I'm still... Uh, uh, 
working on this, you know, it's kind of a work in progress thing, you know, let, let them be aware that, hey, the thing that you're working on is subject to change. He's like, hey, I realize I have to add fuel cost to this. Uh, I, it just sucks, but we'll go ahead and assume you guys have a fuel tank, a full tank, so we don't have to worry about it for right now. But just so you know, every day that you're traveling, it's going to go down, uh, by an, like an increment die or something like that. You know, it, it's just something for them to keep in mind. We're going to have to buy fuel now, aren't we? That's fine because I don't like the ship. Um, so no, but okay. I'll get you a flamethrower. Ooh, the ship's made out of some wood too, isn't it? No, uh, no. Okay, good. No, I was gonna. I mean, because that's one of the other things too. You say you don't like the ship, but if I remember from last campaign, you had a lot of fun out in the plains. You got to go rescue Tiny. The ship was a means to an end. That's what it was. I liked blowing up the ship that we had in this last campaign. My character had to run away because where you guys blew up the airship. Yes, I loved that part. So yeah. Um, no, okay, good, because I don't think, I think a lot of times people think that homebrew has to be a, a static kind of thing. It is a, I made it a set in stone. Yeah, you know? well, like, I had someone that was like, oh, I want to go to magic school, so then I can, <laughs> uh, uh, like, maybe I could get, like, this, uh, type of thing from another class, and it's like, well, I can't give you that exact thing, but I, I can work with you to get something. Um, and so, you know, we, we ended up creating a, um, at first it was, like, this weird little kind of, uh, half magic item half wasn't and it was kind of like a weird like feature thing and then it was kind of uh, a feat and then it kind of turned now it's more of uh now it's turned into like a, a level one spell and so you know it, there were several uh variations as we were trying to figure out its place inside of the game and of course what it did changed based off of each different thing until we finally found something that um i think is a a good spot for it right now until i you know i i have too much time and i start thinking about it too hard <laughs> Okay, good. No, so I mean, I think overall the Spelljammer ship that we have now is interesting. I couldn't have... You just have to believe in yourself. Homebrew takes a a certain amount of creativity that you have to have to be able to do things. Everybody can have an idea in their brain of what they want to make, but the amount of homebrew that we have on our site for the patrons is a lot. And uh, as much as it pains me to say this, that most of the credit goes to you for all those things because you have a broader imagination than I do in that realm and that's all I'm going to say before your head explodes well, in the amount of ego that you're and, and part of it is also I just have a I not to toot my own horn but like I have I have a better understanding of the mechanics and the rules and so with that type of knowledge it can help you better create homebrew that falls better in line with uh, things going on in the game it's not tooting your own. That's if we're talking about the people sitting at this table. That's very true. And you like lording it over me all the time. Well, that's why I had the ivory throne installed. So you guys had to look up to me when I, I DM. Yes, yes. That you never sit in because you have to run around. Yes. Well, I'm I'm sword fighting on the throne while right. I'm describing combat to you guys. I think next week should be uh, spells. I had a lot Actually, of fun. Next week we're going to talk about Gen Con. Gen Con. That's we're right. excited. We're gonna. Um, well, he's going off to Gen Con with his family, and I'm I'm doing i don't know what i'm doing yet i have i don't have anything planned beyond running a couple of games for uh for the stargate system for the person that's never been to gen con before thursday you go thursday's the slowest day i would say by far it's kind of a hectic day but it's the best full day people are it's still thursday so the people are flown in there, but it's not nuts yet because it's not Friday. People yeah. take Friday off. Well, my wife is working Thursday, so I'm just going to be there all day by myself Thursday, except for when I'm running a game at like one. Just meet up with us because we'll be there. I go with my family I one day. I don't like you that much. Yeah, whatever. It's like the kids will dress up that day. We'll go. We have we signed up for a couple of the board games because she loves the board games. Still gonna do your uh, your work for Friday. What do I have to do for Friday? 
your post. Oh, yeah. Of course I'll do it. I'm going to actually do it like now. No, but okay. <laughs> I'm not like you. I won't come home and be like, oh, it's only one, thir- one o'clock in the morning. I've got plenty of time. Um, yeah, Fridays. That's a solid eight hours of work. <laughs> Friday's a great day, but it's packed. Saturday is insane. Um, and then Sunday's a good day too, but it's a really, it's a lot of breakdown because the closer you get to the end, people want to go home. Those guys yeah. are tired. Um, but it's a great four days. Uh, if you ever get the chance to go, you should go. We're lucky because we're based here in Indianapolis. Base, that sounds so official. I know. <laughs> we if, live here. We live here. <laughs> we're based out of here. Yeah. If you are coming to Gen Con and you listen, uh, to the podcast and hit us up. Yeah, we definitely. Meet up. There's a uh, definitely want to meet up with people now, Steven. You are running. Uh, I'm how running many three. Actually, I might be running four or five Stargate games, depending on um, uh, how many uh, people just show up without tickets. Because uh, right now I'm scheduled for three games, but if there's a lot of interest in um, you know people who show up hoping that there's like a free spot, then I'll probably run a couple more. Okay, just and- for fun. And we're hoping to maybe talk to the developers? Yes, hopefully uh, talk to the developers. Might get a couple of other people, depending on how busy people are. I'll bring my, you know, some recording equipment. Excellent. You know, hopefully have fun. It'll be fascinating to meet these guys. I haven't really, uh, I haven't, this is another one of those Steven-only projects. Uh, He'll probably just have me as the guy that has to carry all the equipment and won't introduce me. I'll just set it all down. He'll, like. Shoe his hand, or it'll be like, "Yes, okay, thank you. I- I'd like a, a coffee." Yeah, coffee. Exactly. Please. I was going to just say coffee. I was going to make up some fancy coffee because Stephen only drinks uh, fancy. Caramel coffee. macchiato, uh, not from Starbucks because they burn their beans. Would like you go down to that little shop down at the corner uh, off of Main and First Street. They do a fantastic. Yeah, sorry. So I'm a bit of a coffee snob. <laughs> he is. So yeah. So at the end of that whole like you know that whole long list of coffee things, you've heard me swear on this a little bit, maybe people. So you could just imagine the the you torrent swear. of words that would come out of my mouth at him. But I am I am definitely excited to meet these guys. Steven's put in a lot of work, uh, you know, learning this system, and it sounds like it's a pretty good system. So I'm um, I'm curious. I'm going to probably watch him run at least one game and take notes and make fun of him afterwards. And I'd be a creeper. Definitely want to uh, talk to these guys about the thought process that went into developing it, and you know the time it took, and what they're what the how they're feeling about their final product. Um, so yeah, yeah, so and then they're I think the Kickstarter for that's in February. So thanks for listening. I was about to say watching. Yeah, thanks for watching. You can actually watch now, though. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. I guess you can because uh, now we have a YouTube's channel uh, where Just I'll be uploading. YouTube's. Yes, the YouTube's. Uh, where I'll be uploading our uh, our back catalog with a video of my 3D printer printing out random stuff. Is that on the inter interweb? Yes, it is on the interwebs. Uh, so you know, if you find yourself wanting uh, a printer, wanting to watch a printer print something. It's there. <laughs> All right. So I'll admit, you told me that. I was like, okay, that's just dumb. But it's what else are you going to put on there instead of a blank screen? And then he was like, hey, check it out. And I was like, okay. And I turn it on. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty dumb. Uh, what the hell am I watching? About seven, eight minutes later, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still watching this. <laughs> it's mesmerizing in a bad way. But <laughs> it is mesmerizing. Uh, so, yeah. So that's out there. What else do we got going on, Stephen? Uh, we got the, well, I guess by the time this goes out, August 1st, uh, that'll be the, uh, that'll be a little late to join the Patreon for the condition indicators giveaway, but we'll be doing a new giveaway in August. I think it'll probably be spell effect areas, areas of effects yes. for spells. So, you I know, you those. can get like a big fireball circle or a, a little small 10 foot radius sphere or things like that. I'll upload pictures. Excellent. Um, should yep, be so- exciting. 
So yeah, we are doing. We are now doing the uh, giveaways for our, our patrons uh, on our Patreon. What else do we get on our Patreon? See, we have the giveaways we're doing now. We have the. You got to talk about Mies Grand Adventure. Mies Grand Adventure, where it is Chris DMing me through the streets of Radagast in the world of Greyhawk, and I. Don't know what we're doing next. I, all I know is that Chris just keeps laughing to himself whenever he's <laughs> taking notes. Okay, yeah, we've got that. We've got we got a movie review coming up. Yes, uh, uh, September, September, but stop. Yeah. Uh, and then we have our homebrew, our Discord, and you know we are. If you like what we're doing here, mm-hmm. consider supporting us. Yeah. We would love to have you. Chris will even say thank you, and maybe even break out into tear tears, lots of tears. Maybe doubt it. At least I have tear ducts that work, Stephen. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Oh.